So can we all agree on something tonight? That there are appropriate times to start celebrating Christmas as far as decorating your house and setting up your lights. Two weeks before Thanksgiving, Jess and I were on our way to church and uh, there was this new family that moved in on our block and they already had their Christmas decorations set up and their Christmas tree lit up in their house. Now, this is two weeks before Thanksgiving and I just feel this sense of righteous indignation come over me. Like for some of you that don't know, that means I got really angry in that moment. Like I, I was just furious and I start telling Jess, this is ridiculous. What is wrong with these people? This is what's wrong with America today. They are ruining the Christmas spirit right now. And so I'm going off and I'm saying things like they're probably the kind of people that open up their presents on Christmas Eve. What is wrong with that? I think that's one of the worst traditions that ruins Christmas, um, the, the whole surprise of Christmas morning. And I'm just going off and I'm just getting so angry. And we're about halfway to church and Jess looks at me and she goes, you have some deep, deep issues. And I was like, girl, you don't even know. Like it goes deep. But uh, then there's people like our pastor, Doug, who listens to Christmas music on a 90-degree day in July. And he has passed this tradition down to his children. He, we need to sign a petition or something to stop this. Like, this is really messing up Christmas because I believe that timing is so important. Um, I just recently was hanging out with my good friend, Ben, and he's also a pastor on Long Island. And he was reminding me about a time um, where my timing was a little bit off. I'm sure you guys have friends like that where you just sit around and you talk about the glory days. And we were talking about this one memory where we're sitting in detention together. And um, yeah, we're both pastors now. So we're sitting in detention and uh, the teacher steps out of the room for a second. And I whispered to Ben that I'm gonna change the clock. I'm gonna move it a half an hour forward so we get out of detention a little bit earlier. And so he has to be the lookout. And so she walks out and I run up and it was kind of over the counter and I do uh, go up there and I turn it, I put it back up, and then we put our heads back in our Bible because when you go to Christian school and you're in detention, they make you read your Bible as punishment. It's probably why we became pastors because we spent so much time in detention that we really got to know God's word really well. But we're sitting there and we, we were trying not to look right away, so we're reading our Bibles. And uh, I look up to see my great achievement and I realize that instead of setting the clock forward that I had set it back half an hour. Now, this is quite the predicament because we can't really say anything. Now, Ben, I can see it. Ben's thinking about throwing me under the bus and saying this, but I'm gonna bring him down with me because he was the lookout. So we end up sitting in detention for a whole nother half an hour than we had to. We had to bite the bullet that day, but my timing was so off. And I believe that timing is so important. As we go a little bit deeper, we're gonna learn a little bit more about why timing is so important and how God uses timing. And as of tonight, we're about three weeks a little bit less than three weeks away from Christmas. And for some of you guys, that's a really stressful thought. That's scary. You still have a lot to get done, but we're not jumping right into the full Christmas theme just yet. What I wanna talk to you guys about tonight is the time leading up to the first Christmas. See, I think for some of us, this is something that we miss sometimes. And, and so what I wanna share with you guys about is a little bit of time between Malachi and Matthew. And if you were to open up your Bibles, there would be a page in there that separates the two. And for those of us in the room, that doesn't seem like a really big deal. But those two pages represent 400 years of silence from God. There were no more prophets during this time. There were no more books of the Bible. God seemingly 
goes silent for 400 years. That's four generations of believers in God that heard nothing from him. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys even knew that tonight because that's something that we pass over so quickly. But these 400 years were surrounded by silence. If you're like me, you hate silence. I, I can't stand silence. You know, when you have an awkward conversation with someone and you are searching your mind for something to say, to say and you're both looking at each other just so awkwardly, I hate those moments. Um, just recently, there was a guy at our church named Alan Ross, and, and he is such an awesome guy. He hears from God really clearly, and he just kind of, not that he does this, but he just seems very holy. You know, he just has that presence about him. And so it was, um, I had the opportunity to take him around on a couple errands that he needed to run till he went to his next des destination. And so we get in the car together and, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think of anything I can say to keep the conversation going. Because I have this thought that if I drop the conversation, since he hears so clearly from God, that God is gonna tell him every bad thing I've ever done in my entire life. So I am determined to not let the conversation go silent. And I'm doing my best. I'm thinking about great things to talk about. And he's really easy to talk to. He'll, he'll talk for a while. But we're over here on 347, and we're on our way to Walgreens. And it should have been about, you know, just like a 15-minute drive. But it ends up turning into like a 45-minute drive because of all the traffic that's going on. And we're probably about like five minutes away, and it hits that awkward silence where I don't know anything to say. And now I am panicking. I am thinking of anything to say. And I'm like, all right, it's, it's Thanksgiving time. Why don't you say something about that? And I'm like, yeah, I think that'll be good. And so I just say, Alan, is it hard being away from your family for Thanksgiving? Um, most of you are like, that's a normal thing to say. Why is that a bad thing to say, Joey? Um, Alan is from Scotland. <laughs> and Alan's a really funny, playful guy. And so he just looks at me, and he says my name really funny. He goes, Jewy. He goes, Jewy, we don't celebrate that in Scotland. And he's just kind of laying into me a little bit, and, and we had a good laugh in that moment. And then we get to Walgreens, and, you know, if, if there's something funny about running, like, mundane objects with people. Like, as we're walking down the Pepto-Bismol aisle, he just seems a little bit less holy to me. So <laughs> on the way back, it was a little bit easier of a conversation. But I say all that because... I think silence makes us think irrationally sometimes. It puts some thoughts in our head that we normally wouldn't think. And I think that's because we're so desperate to hear something that we'll believe anything. That we're so desperate to hear something that we'll believe anything. And there is an enemy who loves to whisper to us in those moments of silence. When it seems like God is really far and he's not speaking. There are tons of thoughts that go through our head that would love to tear us apart from God and we believe them so easily because we just want to hear something. And this 400 years of silence is important to you and I because we have all had our times where God has been silent in our lives. And if you haven't had it yet, I can almost guarantee you that you will go through a time of silence just like this. Some of you are in the middle of it tonight. And you know how painful it is. Some of you are praying for something tonight. And you're pleading with God that he would heal someone that you love. Or that he would come through for you in that situation that you need him to come through. And he's meeting you with nothing but silence. That can be 
such a discouraging time. Some of you are waiting on God for something tonight, for him to bring someone into your life or to open up that new job opportunity that you need. And God is meeting you with nothing but silence. And you know how hard and discouraging that can be. I know what it's like to have those silent times with God where it seems like he's disappeared and he's far from the scene. And like I said before, we draw conclusions. And I think everyone in the room, when we go through silence, we, we draw either one of, or two of these conclusions is that God doesn't care about me. Doesn't it seem like when you're going through a time of silence that God is answering everyone else's prayers? That he's coming through for everyone else except for you? And we're tempted to think that God doesn't care about us, that he doesn't love us. Because if he's a loving God, why wouldn't he come through? Why wouldn't he answer that for us? And that's a tempting thought. And it's really easy to believe in times of silence. And then for some of you guys, especially if you're not a believer tonight, maybe you were going through something really tough and you prayed out to God. You said, God, if you're real, then do this. And God didn't do it for you. He was silent for your situation. And you drew the conclusion that God must not be real because he didn't answer this. God was silent. I think even for the most seasoned of Christians, we're tempted to think that thought. Even though we've experienced God so much in our life and we've seen him do so many things in those times of silence, we even question if God's there sometimes. God, are you even out there? Are you real? Because silence can be so discouraging and can be so painful. The New York Daily Post this week, I don't know if any of you saw the headline, was a picture of the Republican candidates praying that God would do something for the horrible tragedy that happened in California. And what the Post, um, the New York Daily News had said was this, is that God isn't fixing this. Man, well, what a statement they're making. Because it seems like God is silent. They're saying that he must not be real or that he doesn't care. They drew their conclusion in the silence. And so my question to you tonight is how will you deal with the silence in your life? In the times and the moments where it seems like God has disappeared and forgotten about you, how will you go through that? See, the Bible is full of people that went through these times of silence and they walked away because they couldn't handle it, because it got too tough. And I'm with, I'm with them. I understand how tough it can be. But the Bible is also full of tons of stories where people went through really hard times of silence, but they chose to trust in God through the silence. My question to you tonight is, what kind of person do you want to be through the silence? I love the Christmas story, and you guys are going to hear a lot more of it throughout the next two weeks, but I love it because it's not perfect. It's not this magical fairy tale. There were a lot of hard things that happened throughout this story. And this Christmas story has something so important to teach us about silence tonight. And so what I want to do is I want to take you guys first to the book of Malachi, just to show you how Malachi just leaves. He, he just hands it off to all the people. These are the last words of Malachi before God goes completely silent. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. 
He will turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Pretty encouraging, right? I don't know about you, but I would think that Malachi might have some words of encouragement for the people, something for them to hold on to as they went throughout this hard time, but that's it. God closes the Old Testament with those verses. And see, this was so rough for the people because they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. This was everything for them. He was going to save them and set them free. And here they are, waiting in complete silence. So where did God go in all of this? Did he get mad at the people? Was he tired of their sin? Was he just fed up that he decided, I'm gonna take a break for a little bit. I'm gonna walk away from these people for a time. What was God doing in the silence over 400 years, four generations of people? I wish that I could tell you guys exactly everything that God was up to during this time. I wish I could, but the Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what I can do tonight. I can tell you what some people who are a lot smarter than me believe that God was doing during this time. Some Christian historians, some uh, theologians, and some pastors believe that God was doing during this 400 years of silence. I think if we can get this tonight, it will make us look at God's silence a little bit differently. And I think it's kind of like this. Have you guys ever been to a Broadway play before? I have, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into at all. I'm not a huge fan of sing-alongs. I said that to someone yesterday, and they laughed at me for calling it a sing-along, but that's basically what it is. Um, So we go there, and the reason I was going is because Jess and I, um, when we were dating, we had broken up for a little bit, so I needed to win her back. And so I decided, all right, we'll go see The Lion King. And, oh, man, what a rough time it was. But I pretended like I liked it for her because I knew that she was really into it. And so act one happens, and then there's the intermission, right? And then we go out into the lobby. They make everyone leave. We're out in the lobby, and I realize that they're selling candy, and I decide I'm going to spend like $200 on candy to help me get, try and get through act two. I just load up. I'm going to survive it through candy. And so we come back in for act two, and I realize the stage looks completely different. That it had been rearranged. It was, it was a totally different scene. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool that they were able to get that done during the intermission. Guys, what I believe God was doing during that 400 years was he was turning act one into act two. That he was doing something behind the scenes to set up what was gonna happen in act two. He had to change the scenery of the world a little bit. Two major things that happened during this time. I'm gonna start giving you guys some history, so stick with me. I promise I'm gonna make it as easy as possible. But someone named Alexander the Great comes onto the world stage. Alexander the Great is considered to be one of the greatest generals and rulers um, of, of all time. He was able to take everything over, all the territories over, from Greece to Egypt into parts of India. He took over much of the Eastern world. He was just this great general and leader. It seemed like whatever he touched just came, was blessed in some ways. And so here he is. And one day, Alexander the Great has this thought that he wants all of his territories to speak one 
common language. And that language is Koine Greek. Now, I'm sure you're saying, Joey, what in the world does this have to do with God? God was resetting the stage of the world. Because Alex the, Alexander the Great chose to make Koine Greek the, one of the most popular languages then, that, one, that made the coming of Jesus and his disciples all that much easier to spread the news that they were saying. The Bible would be translated into Koine Greek so as many people could understand it. The Old Testament, the New Testament. You guys, um, when a pastor is trying to sound like he's really smart, what does he do? He quotes the original text. He quotes the Greek because that's what it was originally wrote in. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic. Now, that is true if you're thinking that right now. But all his disciples, they spoke Koine Greek because it was the most popular language during that time. And God needed that. As he was gonna send his son, they needed a common language so that this word could be spread to as many people as popular. So God uses Alexander the Great for his purpose without Alexander the Great even knowing it by the spread of Koine Greek. The second really important thing that happened during this time was something called Pax Romana. I'm sure some of you guys have heard about this in history class before. It's, it's just translated into Roman peace. This was a time where now Alexander the Great, is, is, his time is done, and now Rome is in peace. Things are good right now, and they decide that they don't want to take any more territories. They don't want to go anywhere else. They just want to focus on Roman life, and they want to make it as best as possible. And so during this time, they, they advanced Roman culture in a lot of ways. And one of the huge advancements during this time was so important. They decided that they were going to set up really easy ways to, uh, for people to travel from point A to point B. And they were going to make it much safer than it normally was. See, during this time, you, during those times, you really couldn't travel with uh, safety and with ease. There would always be um, conquer, trying other territories trying to come in and mess up what you were doing and hurting people or, uh, through their walks and through their routines as they were going from point A to point B. But through this time, the Romans were able to set up these easy walkways so people can get from point A to point B, that they could travel far distances in a shorter amount of time and with more ease and with more safety. Now, guys, this was so important because how did the disciples... And how did Jesus go about spreading the word? They went by foot, and they would travel from place to place. And this safety and the ease of it made such a huge difference for the spread of Christianity during the, this time. These two things were paramount to the coming of Christ. And they had to happen during these 400 years. Okay. So now that we know that, Joey, what in the world does that mean for my silence? What does that mean for me tonight? This is what I want you guys to get, is that God is at work in the silence. To everyone else, it looked like God had walked out, that God was done with people, that he was done with man, that he was just leaving them to their own. But really, God was setting up act one for act two, that he knew what he was doing. He was working behind the scenes. And God knows what he's doing in your silence too tonight. 
It may seem that he's a million miles away, that he couldn't be more distant from you tonight, but I promise you this, is that God is working behind the scenes for you if you are in a season of silence. He hasn't left you completely just because he's silent. And we let that thought come into our mind that God isn't working on our behalf, but that couldn't be true because we see all the things that God was doing over those 400 years. Guys, and, I, and I'm just giving you two things tonight. I'm sure God was doing so many more things than just the couple of things that I'm giving you tonight. And so some, some of you guys that are in such a hard time of silence tonight, and you don't get why God is treating you this way, I want you to know that he's working on your behalf. And if he's not working on your behalf, he's working something inside of you. So he might not be working for your situation, but he's working something in you tonight. He's developing you. He's teaching you how to trust more, how to lean more into him. He's doing something behind the scenes. That I can guarantee you 100%. See, God is the great storyteller, the great story writer and storyteller, right? See, the plan from the beginning of time was always Jesus. He, he knew that. To say that God didn't know that would be to diminish some of his power and sovereignty. He always knew. And he has always been writing this story. And he knows the timing of it and how it's going to unfold and how it's all going to work out. God is the great story writer. And he's writing your story. And here's a great way to think about it. If you're in the middle of silence tonight. Could you imagine... If an author was writing a story and he was completely biased for the main character, I mean, he just loved the main character. He was sold out for the main character. There was nothing he wouldn't do for the main character. And so he writes a story, and yeah, there are some ups and downs in the story. There are some bad days, but ultimately, he's working every page he's writing for the good of that character in the end. Guys, God is writing your story and he is biased for you. He knows what he's doing and he knows how the timing is gonna unfold. So just because you're in the middle of silence tonight, don't think that God isn't for you because he is and he's promised us time after time throughout his word that he's for you and that he loves you and that if he would give up his only son Jesus for you, what would he hold back from you? Really, what would he hold back from you if he was willing to give you his own son? There's no good thing that he would hold back from you. Just sometimes we don't have the same view as God. And so God is most certainly at work. I was bouncing back and forth as I was preparing for this message. I wasn't sure if I was gonna speak this or not. And that same guy, Alan, I was talking about before, He's just someone that hears from God really clearly and he was praying for someone and he said this and, and this was for the person but I feel like that God spoke to me through it too. He said that when things go silent is when I make adjustments. And as soon as he said that, I knew that this is what I had to share with you guys tonight. Is that in the silence, God makes adjustments. He makes change, makes changes to the scenery of our lives. And he most certainly is at work in your silence tonight. The way he broke the silence was worth every second of silence. 
I'm sure all those people who waited the 400 years, if you could ask them the way that he broke the silence, if it was worth it, I'm sure that they would say absolutely yes. You know why? Because there has been nothing greater done for us than the coming of Jesus. Nothing could ever compare to that. The way he broke the silence was worth every second of silence. And so what do we do in the silence? This is great, Joey. Really encouraging that God is at work in my situation. But what do I do when Monday morning hits? When real life comes tomorrow, how do I face the silence? How do I deal with it? This is all great for a little sermon, but what about real life? And here is my encouragement for you guys tonight. I wanna look at Deuteronomy 31.6. This is what it says. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so tonight, if I, I don't mean to try and change or add anything to scripture, but what if just for us tonight it said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of silence. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so not only is God at work in your silence, but he's also with you in your silence. I don't know about you, but that encourages me tonight to know that, you know what, maybe I don't hear God, but he sees me and that he's with me and that he's promised me that he won't forsake me. No matter how difficult my situation is, no matter how overwhelming or scary it is, that God's not gonna forsake me, that nothing could separate me from his love. No height, nor death, nor angels or demons. Nothing could separate me from God, that I am his and he is mine. Child of God, you need to know that tonight, that he's not gonna forsake you, that he's not forgetting about your story. He sees it and he's with you tonight and he's working it out. He's writing the pages today because he is so in love and passionate about you. So it's so important that you're brave. Can you think of any great story that you ever heard where there wasn't any conflict in it? Where the person in it didn't have to go through some tough things? It's in every great story. You can't get away from it. And if you are in the middle of a hard thing, if you are in the middle of a difficult situation tonight, it probably just means that God's making your, your story great. It just means that he's working on your behalf tonight. That's usually what that means. This week, someone texted me that, they're just feeling just really overwhelmed. They're going through something that just seems really scary to them. And they just don't know how they're gonna face it. And I know this person pretty well. And I just wrote back to them, be brave, be brave. Sometimes that's just what we need to hear. This person already knows everything about God, but they just need to be brave. Sometimes, guys, we just need to be courageous and trust God in the middle of the silence just to pick up our cross and say, all right, God, I can't see how all this is gonna work or how all this is gonna unfold, but I am choose to be brave today in the middle of my silence, and I'm gonna trust you that you're working it out. Guys, it's so important, and that's something that God is constantly trying to work into all of us, that we would be brave and trust him in our moment of silence. And so this is my bottom line, what I want you guys to get tonight and to remember just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not with you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's not with you. And so I took you guys to Malachi, right? We looked at 
his last words. But I wanted to look at Matthew's words. As the New Testament opens up and as God starts Act 2, I want you to see what Matthew writes. And so he starts a chapter by just um, listing the lineage of Jesus and everything that uh, led to Jesus. And then he says this, and this is so important. Matthew chapter one, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God breaks the silence with this by sending the son to let us know that even in our darkest moments, even in the times where God is completely silent, that we have Emmanuel, God with us at all times. Now, that was the prophet Isaiah speaking, and he had given the people that word. And I think that was to remind the people throughout the Old Testament that God is with them through the times of silence. And it's for us tonight too. No matter how dark or scary your situation is tonight, God is with you and he's writing your story and he's working on your behalf. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for tonight, Lord. Thank you so much for your great love that even in the silence, God, You're at work and you're working in us through that. And I just pray, God, for someone who has just been going through it for a really long time, God, that you would encourage them tonight, that they would have a new strength, God, that they would choose to be brave in the middle of their circumstances tonight, that they would cling to you, Jesus, even if they can't hear you, that they would know that you walk with them tonight. God, we are so grateful that you have turned death into life. That you have won the day for us, Jesus. We are so grateful for your amazing love for us. We love you, God. We pray that you would be in this next worship set. God, I pray that you would just heal someone who needs it tonight, God. That they would feel you and know that you're with them, Lord. Thank you so much. In your name we pray.